in the book of Proverbs, and I've been saying week by week that Proverbs is about wisdom, and wisdom is about navigating the complexities of life that goes beyond just the black and white, is this right or wrong, okay? Running drugs across the Canadian border, wrong, okay? Honoring your father and mother, right, okay? Those things are straightforward. But the complexities beyond that, uh, do I go to this school, that school, marry this person, that person, those sorts of things, it's about wisdom and foolishness. And I keep driving that point home because there's, I, I, I want that to stick in your head. And then the other thing I've been saying is that wisdom is uh, taking everything we know about God and applying it to all of our life, trying to honor him as best we can, what seems fit in, in, in the opportunities in front of us. I keep driving that home because so many conflicts in life are framed oftentimes as right and wrong, and they really are conflicts about wise and foolish, or you know, two options that both are permissible and yet it's not entirely clear which of those options should be pursued at the moment. Okay, so um, uh, recently I read an article where someone was saying, uh, Jesus said bread and wine, and therefore it's objectively right that the only thing to do is serve wine during communion in church, okay? I would say that's a question of wisdom. If you are ministering to an AA congregation, serving wine at communion, maybe not the most wise, okay? Uh, but it's a, it's a discretion question, right? So we need to be wise. And we've looked at all sorts of themes, how we use our words, uh, how we work, our heart attitudes, anger, all sorts of things. To kick us off, though, I want to ask this question. If we were going to take everything we've been seeing from Proverbs last summer, this summer, and we wanted to give a picture of what it looks like to put it all together and live it out, what kind of image or picture might you come up with? What sort of example might you throw out there? The life of Jesus. The life of Jesus. Always a good answer. Yeah, Jesus lives out, Jesus lives out God's wisdom. Yes, yeah, that's a great answer. How about anyone else? We've heard all these individual proverbs about, you know, here's what wisdom looks like. But if we wanted to give a picture of, okay, here's what it looks like lived out in the real world, what would you point to? What kind of picture might you give of a wise life? Yeah, Chris. Yeah, B Benjamin Franklin and in a long line of uh, wise men who wrote various aphorisms and wise sayings. But he didn't live a wise life. His own life, not always as wise, yeah. Which is the case for all of us. So <laughs> I, I'm failing to find examples because we all fail. Yeah, yeah, Albert. I don't know, just striving to know God and follow God, I think. Yes. Being in his word, I mean. Yeah. Like you say, there's gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us, so how do we yeah. live in that spirit? I guess for me it would be that. Yeah. Well, we can think of wise figures from the Bible. What are some wise people in the Bible? Job. Job, yeah. Anyone else? Daniel. Daniel? <laughs> yeah, Jan? Hannah. Hannah? Yeah? Moses. No one's saying Solomon. Mary, yeah. Here's how Proverbs ends the book, and this is where we're going to be tonight, is Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. It doesn't end the book by pointing us to King Solomon, 
It doesn't end by pointing the book to, uh, by pointing us to a wise sage or someone like that. It ends the book by giving us a picture of a homemaker. It's saying this is what, when you put it all together and live a wise life, it looks like, is this diligent homemaker. Uh, this is a, a, a familiar passage to many of us. The wise woman or the woman who fears the Lord is how our Bible headings has it. It's on page 654 if you're using the uh, church Bible. It's an alphabet poem, an acrostic. So each uh, verse begins with a ne- a successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Before we get into this, though, uh, well, I w- I'll read it. We'll pray. And then, and then a couple opening thoughts. Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ship of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Excuse me. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it, and the fruit of her hands she plants with the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable, her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at times to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this portrait of what a wise life looks like and see it all put together, may it challenge us, may it shape us, may it shape our desires and what we think is important. May your word teach us to be more like Christ and to love him better. Amen. Okay, one more, well... Okay, there's a big question in front of us, is how should we read this uh, poem? And I just wonder, just to get the ball rolling, how have maybe you heard this poem in life or read it in the past? Are there thoughts on that? Yeah, Chris. I've heard some women say I could not obtain this. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the, the desirable bride, reminding us of the bride of Christ, but, but I think that's an important point, is that none of us can attain it. I think that this passage has at times been used in a way that can be somewhat crushing. Okay, here's a checklist. 
Uh, I gotta do quick math, 21 things to try and live up to that none of us can attain to, uh, and it can seem a bit burdensome. Yeah, Ruth. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, so across 60 or 70 years, if you hit these various points, it would be good. Yeah, that's a good Yeah, I, th I think this functions in a number of ways. First, it, it gives us a picture of what a wise life looks like, okay? And that the book of Proverbs ends, remember it begins with Solomon, uh, or, or in my opinion, probably the wise men who collected this have the preface, but then Solomon's collections of all these various proverbs. And then before this, if we look back, there's some proverbs of Agur and Lemuel, these various wise kings and wise men. But it doesn't end with a story from Solomon's life. It doesn't end from some famous sage, you know, Socrates or something like that. It ends by saying a wise life looks like homemaking. Uh, and the simplicity in that sense of it, that it's not something... Uh, in one sense, you could say, yes, this is unattainable to try and do all these things perfectly all the time. But in another sense, it's saying the simple life of just doing everyday things that need done, providing food, doing your work, caring for your children, that that is the sort of goal that's held out, the aspiration. So it's meant to be a model for all of us. Uh, most of the book has been focusing on a father speaking to his son, but now here at the end, it's a portrait of what a wise woman looks like. It's meant to be a guide for young men, saying when you're looking for a wife and you're thinking about what's valuable, what sorts of things should you value? Well, uh, King Lemuel was warned by his mother that beauty is fleeting. Uh, this, at the end, 30, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, uh, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's saying, here's what you should look for. A woman who fears the Lord and is hardworking, has grit, so it, it, it's meant to be a portrait for us of what a wise life looks like lived out. We begin in verses uh, 10 through 12 about the valiant wife's value. I say the valiant wife because this word that ESV translates as excellent is elsewhere translated as valiant or strength uh, when it's applied to men who are warriors. I'm not sure why it's excellent here, but it's, it's, it's about a competent strength. So Jerome, the early Bible translator, translates this line as the strong woman. Uh, or one commentator puts it, it's a picture of a domestic warrior, okay? That she's a, a valiant wife. And when it says in verse 11, he will have no lack of gain. Uh, that word gain is literally um, spoils, booty, the sort of thing you get after a battle. Uh, it's saying he'll have no lack of that. So she's a domestic warrior. We're going to see a couple of those uh, throughout here. So a valiant wife who can find. The question isn't saying it's impossible, but rather it's saying that it's a rare find to find a valiant wife, and so she is far more precious than jewels. There's great value to a valiant wife and value to the husband. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will lack no gain. She does him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Pause there for just a moment and think about the picture of the relationship between the man and the woman. Uh, ancient Israel was fairly patriarchal in general. Okay, the <laughs> oldest man of the extended family unit would have been the leader of that whole family unit and sort of 
you know, you got to make decisions about what crops are going to be in what fields, what are we going to invest in, those sorts of things. And that was the father, the head of the family. But notice the implications for marriage. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Okay, being her head, if we want to use that language from Paul, uh, doesn't mean micromanaging what she does. It doesn't mean leaving a task list on the fridge when he goes out to the field each day of, here's what I want you to get done today. It means he trusts in her. He recognizes her value, her gifts, her competence, and he trusts her to do her work. So verses 10 through 12, the valiant woman is valuable. Okay? If you find one, hang on to her, guys. Uh, Any thoughts or comments there? Okay, well then the main body of this poem, verses 13 through 27, is about the valiant wife's activity. Verses 13 through 27, the valiant wife's activity. And again, just to get the ball rolling, what do we typically praise women for, either ourselves or in our society? What kinds of things do we praise women for? Beauty? Clean house. A clean house? Yeah, beauty, a clean house, Chris? Raising children. I think I've seen all three of those on the cover of Good Housekeeping in the checkout of the grocery store. Cooking. What's that? Cooking. Cooking. Good cooking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anya, you're, Anya and Noah, you guys have some good comments here? <laughs> oh, um, talents. Like skills. Talents. I thought that was, uh, doesn't Napoleon say guys have to have... Skills is not the yeah. business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, successful in business, successful in business. Yeah. It's interesting what this poem here focuses on praising the woman for. Not primarily her beauty, uh, not necessarily a clean house. Nate reminded me a few weeks ago of a Proverbs that you, uh, proverb earlier on that you can have a clean barn by not having any oxen in it, okay? Uh, but it's not a clean house, but a productive house. And what's interesting is she is praised for her hard work. That seems to be the dominant characteristic here. And not just hard work, but her good judgment. Uh, So she's a wise worker, we might say. And so picking up from the themes of work that we were looking at last week. Verses 13 through 18, there are kind of some sections here about her activity. Verses 13 through 18 focus on um, her sort of cottage industry. And again, at times I think this has been... Well, actually, we'll come back around to that in a second. Her cottage industry, verses 13 through 18. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. There's kind of a topic sentence there. (laughs) Notice she both has good judgment about the quality of resources she's looking for. Okay, so she seeks out the good wool and flax. She's looking for good things to work in her loom. But then she's also committed to adding value through hard work. Okay, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. And that's kind of what we see throughout these verses here, the first uh, 13 through uh, 18. Uh, She's like the ships of a merchant. She brings food from afar, okay? She's thoughtful about what she feeds her, eats herself and feeds her family. Uh, She's like merchants, importing and exporting. 15... And 18, make a parallel point about her hard work, her diligence. She makes the most of her time. And yet here again, we see the uh, domestic warrior. 
She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. And yet this word food for her household is literally she provides prey for her offspring. So she's rising while it's yet night, provides prey for her, her offspring. What's it a picture of? A lioness out hunting at night who catches prey for her offspring and for her maidens, her, the other lionesses in the pride. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. We'll come to that in a moment, but her lamp does not go out at night. The lamp in Proverbs a number of times is a symbol for inner strength or resolve. Okay, she's committed to her principles. So she's thoughtful. She's looking for quality. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. And with the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. So she's thoughtful looking for potential in this land that it could be useful and then again not only does she show good judgment but she's committed to adding value planting a vineyard and improving the land so that it's productive verse 17 again you see this sort of martial language military language she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong Okay, so she has this sort of cottage industry. The household is productive. Uh, last week I quoted from Dorothy Sayers. This week I'll just paraphrase from her, but she has a great essay, uh, Are Women Human? Her answer is yes, they are human, but different than men. Uh, but in there she talks about, you're saying, should women work outside of the home? And she says, fine, I'll stay in the home, but please put back in the home all the industries that used to be in the home. Textile making, beer making, food, agriculture. I mean, she goes down the list and pretty much everything we do in the modern world used to be in the home. And so the picture here in Proverbs and really throughout the Old Testament is that the home is a productive place. And that really cuts against the modern world where our home is a passive consuming place. Okay, we pay a mortgage and we have to buy our food more or less at the grocery store, bring it into our home. But the property itself really doesn't have value like it used to, that it produces uh, uh, it produces things. And yet that's the picture here, is that the home is a productive center, an economic center. Uh, along the same lines, uh, Wendell Berry in an essay, he says, you're criticizing me for saying women should work at home, but you don't really understand. I'm saying men should also work at home. We should all work in farms at home. Of course, he has kind of an agrarian, uh, utopian ideal. But nevertheless, the point of the home being a place that's productive not passive consumption, but active production. Uh, and that can be in all sorts of things, that we do art, we sing music together, we garden, all those sorts of things, that there's ways of making our homes productive. At the same time, again, I just want to pose a warning here. I think that this picture of the woman investing and being productive and engaged in this cottage industry has at times put um, unhelpful pressure on Christian women that has led at least some Christian women to get caught up in various pyramid schemes that promise an opportunity to work from home and help provide from your family, which those are all good biblical ideals, uh, and yet at times it has led to uh, getting caught up in unwise business arrangements. And so we want to be careful that this isn't read as a burden, but as freedom, that women are free to work and engage in these things. Verses 19 and 20 then in the middle of this section about the valiant wife's activity shows us that her diligent labor overflows in generosity to others. Uh, the same verbs are used in 19 and 20. 
She puts her hand to the distaff. I have no idea what a distaff is. Some of the commentaries say a double loom or a double spindle, which again, I have no idea what is, but I gather has something to do with making textile, okay, making fabric, cloth. Uh, so she puts her hand to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. The same uh, verb is used, but to make English work, it says she opens her hand, but she puts her hand to the poor and she reaches out her hands to the needy. Okay, so it's saying using the same verbs, tying these together. On the one hand, she puts her hands out to do hard work. On the other hand, she puts her hands out to help the poor and the needy. Okay, and it's a picture for all of us that our hard work should produce excess that we can use to help the poor and the needy. Verses 21 through 27 then switch gears and they don't focus quite as much on the, the uh, uh, cottage industry, but on her social achievements. And these verses are carefully structured in a chiasm pattern, which is an in and out. And so we're going to see these pairs. Verse 20 and then verses 26 and 27 are a pair. Um, she opens her hand to the poor, reaches out her hands to the needy. 26 and 27, she opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness, that's that Hebrew word chesed, a steadfast love. She teaches about the Lord's steadfast love and the Lord's wisdom. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Okay, on both, it's about her uh, giving to others, both to meet the material needs and to teach God's wisdom and steadfast love. Then verse 21 and 25 are a pair. In both cases, she is not afraid of things to come. Verse 21, she's not afraid of snow for her household. Okay, uh, in an ancient world without glass windows, without great doors, without, you know, Indoor heating, that sort of thing. When snow comes, it can be devastating if you're not well clothed. But she is not afraid of snow. Why? For all her household are clothed in scarlet. Okay, not only are they clothed, not only do they have a winter coat, but scarlet is like, like a fine garment. It's, it's well colored. She's saying she provides well for them. Likewise, in verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing. And what does she do when she looks at the future? She laughs at the time to come. Okay, she's confident in the face of the future. Again, verses 22 and 24 make a parallel. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Uh, I think the only other time this word for bed covering is used in the Bible is in Proverbs 7 when it talks about the seductress who tries to lure the young man by saying, come in, my bed has been laid with these fine bed coverings. Okay, she also has fine bed coverings that she has made for herself, and yet it's not something that she's using to lure the foolish young man. Clothing is fine linen and purple, and then we see in 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. So again, there's this overflow. She makes clothes for herself, for others. And then in the very center, 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. The book of Deuteronomy tells us that the elders of the village or the city are meant to gather together at the city gates, and that's where they hear cases of uh, you know, justice, those sorts of issues that come up. The elders together hear those cases, and it's actually the, um, the biblical roots, the beginning of our own system of church polity, where we have elders who, again, hear discipline cases, amongst other things that we have to do. Um, thankfully, that's not a very frequent part of our job, but it is part of what the elders do. What's verse 23 here saying? It's saying because she is so diligent and competent at managing her house, her husband has 
extra time to sit among the elders at the gate. Okay? It's saying in order for a man to serve as an elder, it needs a, he can't do that without a woman to prop him up to take care of other things so that he has the extra time it takes to serve as an elder. That was true in ancient Israel. That's true in the church today. Yeah, Charlie. It also seems that um, writing on the tales of respect that she's developed within the home mm -hmm. and others around it, there seems to be that element in there as well. Is oh, that, yeah. Is that accurate? I mean, yeah, that, uh, it that case. Yeah, and Paul picks this up in 1 Timothy that um, one of the qualifications for an elder is that their household, you know, there's a reputation for a well-managed household. That doesn't happen by a father alone apart from the mother and wife, so it's, it's a team, team effort there. Good comment, Charlie. Other other thoughts? Is this tracking? Yeah, Lou. Saying that um, single people cannot be leaders in the church. No, no, not saying that single people can't be leaders. Um, Paul's single. Uh, Jesus is single. Perhaps Timothy is single. But if you do have a bunch of kids and stuff, that sort of thing, if you do have bills to pay, all those sorts of things. Uh, uh, I'm aware of a number of situations where a man who desired to be involved in ministry had a wife who wasn't, again, it's a question of wisdom. It's not that she was morally problematic, but just where her maturity and capabilities were at, it was like this would not be wise for the man to spend all this extra time doing stuff because uh, his household needed him to be heavily involved. So, so no, not saying that single people can't be involved in leadership, but, um, but for married men to be involved in leadership, their wife needs to be comfortable with that, and it's not like a war zone every time they leave, leave to go to a council meeting, that sort of thing at home. Okay, this section then ends 30 and 31, this warning again, charm is deceitful, okay, someone can seem charming and yet what's hidden underneath is not good. Beauty is vain, that word for vain is fleeting, okay, uh, beauty, uh, yeah, eventually over time it can go away, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Uh, Proverbs puts it so memorably early in the book, I think in chapter 11, uh, that a beautiful woman without sense is like a nice gold nose ring in the snout of a pig, okay? Uh, there's nothing wrong with charm and beauty, but the fear of the Lord, the inner life, that inner disposition is what's so centrally important. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Okay, so she should be receive public recognition, the wise woman. Two comments to close our teaching. In the Hebrew Bible, the books are ordered in a slightly different order, you may or may not know. And in the Hebrew Bible, after the book of Proverbs, does anyone know what book comes next in the Hebrew ordering or want to take a guess? I take it it's not Ecclesiastes. It's not Ecclesiastes. Someone got close. It's actually the book of Ruth comes next in the Hebrew ordering. So you have the, the, the Pentateuch or the, the Torah, you have the prophets, which has the former books and the latter books, and then you have this category called the writings, which is just a whole bunch of like kind of here's everything else that's left. And in the writings, it goes Proverbs, Ruth, and then Song of Songs. And in the book of Ruth, we read, now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man, that's that same word, an excellent wife, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And then chapter 3, verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear, 
I will tell you, uh, I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. That word translated worthy there, it's the same thing Proverbs 31 translates as excellent, or a strong, strong woman, a valiant woman. That's uh, Boaz talking to Ruth there. Uh, sorry, I'm just assuming you all know the chapter numbers of <laughs> Ruth. Uh, that was Hebrew 1, as you have to translate the whole book of Ruth by the end. So uh, at least for people who have done Hebrew 1 and 2, that's it's in your brain. But there it's, uh, uh, Ruth meets Boaz at the threshing floor. She kind of makes her overtures towards him. He says, yeah, I'm going to marry you if this other guy gets out of the way. For all the townspeople know you are a valiant woman. Because what does Ruth do? She works hard and diligently to provide for Naomi. And then 4.11, uh, one more time, all the people who are at the gates, notice that, and the elders, again, notice those, the elders at the gates, say, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. There's that worthy, that same, uh, uh, the verb form, but may your excellence be known. And then after Ruth comes the, you know, at the end of Ruth, they conceive children and that kind of moves forward. And then from there, it goes to Song of Songs, which is kind of the natural outworking of all these things that you can figure out on your own time. But uh, what I want to just point to at the very end here is Proverbs begins with, remember, Lady Wisdom speaking in Proverbs 1 through 9 that we looked at last summer. Wisdom is there when God creates all things. Then we have all these wise sayings, these individual Proverbs. Uh, that tell us how to live. And then at the very end of the book of Proverbs, it's all put together in the life of a homemaker. And in a very real sense, she provides a portrait for us, but we might even say this is what it looks like when wisdom is incarnate. And so the book of Proverbs itself points towards wisdom as what seems to be sort of an abstract ideal early in the book, becoming incarnate and concrete in a specific life. And so the portrait of this valiant wife here at the end, yes, the ideal for the church, the bride of Christ, but also points us towards Christ himself, this uh, valiant bridegroom uh, who incarnates wisdom, who lives out a wise life, as uh, Lulu pointed out at the beginning. Of course, you got the right answer there, Lulu. That he shows us most fully what it looks like to put it all together and to live out wisdom in a human life. So it's... Uh, we're reading Proverbs, it's pointing us beyond itself to wisdom being lived out. I'm trying to be conscientious about being a little shorter in the evenings. <laughs> but are there other comments or questions or thoughts? Yeah, Steve. That just seems that the emphasis on the gay pride. Yeah. Yeah. This daily chores and yet it's a um, the husband delights in her he praises her uh, it's interesting it says he, he sings her praises in the gates Genesis 2 what's the first thing any human ever says it's the man singing a praise song about the woman 
This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He begins by praising the wife before sin confuses all that. But it, there's a humility to it as well, that it's simply going about the day-to-day work of making, you know, homemaking, of, of the ordinariness of life, and yet delighting in each other, supporting each other. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a great comment, Steve, that it's, uh, yeah, humility. It's the opposite of pride in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, Ruth. Yeah, a quiet life and work with your hands that Paul, Paul instructs. Uh, yeah, the takeaways I want you to take from this is if you are nervous about whether women are allowed to work outside the home, yes, they are. Proverbs gives us this picture of diligent work. Okay, that's great. Uh, productive economic activity. I want you to take away from it that husbands trust your wives. Uh, wives, it's something to say there's a nobility to the work that happens in the home and outside of the home. I don't want anyone to take away from this a burden that you've got to achieve some sort of superhero status to be considered wise or valiant. Uh, a wise or valiant. Um, hopefully, those are the takeaways. <laughs> don't be burdened. Rejoice in living a wise and simple life. Yeah, Nate. Just the, the focus on how important uh, the home is. Yeah. Is the highest you can achieve. Yes. In this life is laid before the men and the women. Yeah. Uh, not a career or a name yeah. for yourself or yeah. riches or any of these things. It is that your home is running well yeah. and that uh, your children are being raised in, yeah. in happiness and community. And the, the joy of being in a, uh, what we'll call a well-ordered home, uh, it's not something that you can put on Instagram or that you know, gets traction. <laughs> and yet, when you go into a well-ordered home, you're invited as a guest, you sense it right away, you feel it, there's a, um, it brings peace even to the visitor who comes into that home. And so it's something we should all aspire to and yet uh, it's not something that you can package and market uh, in the world's terms. Uh, but then yeah, it becomes one of the prime images as well for the church, that it's not, um, uh, of course it is the kingdom of God, that's one of the images, but the church is the household of God. And so it's, it's taken up as this image of, of what our, we as a body are meant to look like as well. Singles, widowers, uh, widows, uh, young, old, together as a household, a family, uh, who again work together uh, doing the ordinary, daily, humble, 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 okay, it doesn't sound right. I guess that means I've talked enough for today. But the humble things that the church is called to do day in and day out. Let's, uh, let's turn to our... Uh,